What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ preview for Bellator 292 and UFC Las Vegas. I am Jason Foy. As always, I'm joined with my partner here, Pete Rogers Jr. Pete, good afternoon. How are you doing on this Friday afternoon, man? What's popping, brother? What's going on? Not bad. It's uh, it's warming up a little bit up here in New England, and then ironically, we have some winter storms ahead too. So it's it's weird. It, like yesterday felt like a beautiful spring day. And then tonight and tomorrow we're getting a snowstorm and then following it up on Monday, we have like a, a nor'easter approaching or something ridiculous like that. So I know you don't have any of those issues down in Florida. I just had to, you know, kind of vent a little bit right there, but what's going on everybody. It's 81 degrees here in Tampa today. I mean, it felt, it felt like 81 <laughs> yesterday. I know it was probably like 50, but it felt gorgeous yesterday. The sunshine, I was out doing some yard work and all that. And then reality, you know, sunk in and we have some winter storms coming so uh yeah you got it good down there buddy yeah i mean look if it could be like 72 degrees every day i would absolutely love it yeah it, there, there's some days i walk out of the house in the afternoon i'm like is it july already or is it march i mean that's just kind of the you know the crazy that we have here of course we appreciate everyone tuning in here for the fight hq preview of course uh, be sure to smash that thumbs up button that truly does help us out a ton if you're new to the channel be sure to subscribe to the channel we got great content for you each and every week we'll let you know next week probably no show on friday oh actually well there'll definitely be no show on friday uh we'll you know, maybe me and Peter kind of talk about some other options, but most likely Saturday, right before the fights, probably about 90 minutes before the fights, we'll hop on here just so I've got some things. Uh, it's spring break here, uh, so my wife's a teacher, so uh, we're kind of doing the, the vacation kind of stuff uh, for the majority of the week, and then uh, next Friday, I'm actually going out to the Valspar Championship, the PGA Tour event uh, with some buddies, and uh, it's an all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-drink um, area God. we're in. So, yeah, there you yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Goodness gracious. I mean, it sounds fun. Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, I'm sure you're going to be having a good old time. Isn't it um, St. Patrick's Day next weekend, or is that the following weekend? No, St. Patrick's is next Friday. Oh, good Lord. You guys are going to be a wild bunch, I can already tell. Um, yeah, we're, we're yeah. back from Atlanta coming into town, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be it's gonna be a good old time here, but looking forward to that. Of course, uh, another great way to show your support for the show is Stochastic does have an offer for our listeners. So if you go in the show notes, uh, if you're listening to us on the podcasting aspect or if you're watching us on YouTube, you can get 25% off your first week or your first month. Be sure to take advantage. That is uh, the tools and data I use to help develop my lineups. And uh, I will tell you, I was telling Pete to, as I was looking at some of the ownership projections currently, there's some fires I was like, ooh, that's a little high. I, I, I will tell you this, like, I thought Mario Batista's numbers might be a little lower because of the price point, even though I really do like Mario Batista to win this matchup. We'll talk about it later on in this show. But there but also I will tell you, boy, there are some I have I have highlighted one, two, three, four, five. I have highlighted six fighters who I believe should be getting higher ownership than what they're getting right now. Wow. Can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, so be sure to take advantage of that. Uh, first off, Pete, let's talk a little bit about Bellator 292. That's, of course, going to go down tonight there uh, in San Jose. It's the kickoff of the lightweight Grand Prix. we got Benson Henderson challenging Usman Nurmagomedov. And uh, looking at the betting side of this one, I remember earlier on this week, it was uh, Usman opened up as a 25-1 to betting favorite. 
And someone in our Discord channel, which, by the way, you can join our Discord totally free. Uh, the link to that Discord channel is in the uh, bio here. As, uh, you know, basically said, hey, you know, has Vincent Henderson fallen off that much? I think this is more about Usman Nurmagomedov, um, you know, looking kind of over at bestfightodds.com, you know, really ranging anywhere from a 16 to 1 to a 20 to 1 betting favorite here. Um, I said this on my podcast on Wednesday. I'll see if you agree with me. To me, if Benson Henderson is going to pull this off, he's making this, you know, a, a fight up against the fence. He's making this a clinch fight. If this thing's at range, I think Usman Nurmagomedov made off pieces him apart. Yeah, I just, it's an untouchable price tag. I can't get there. And I actually think it's outlandish. You know what I mean? Like he should win. Uh, he has the, the last name that everybody wants to flock to. Um, he has the training partners. He has the style of fighting that wins a lot of fights and can be very dominant when he imposes his will. He's a solid striker as well, but um, he's just so well-rounded that, you know, there aren't too many holes. The one thing that, you know, Benson Henderson does have is just championship level experience and, you know, a, a lifetime of getting in there with some of the best fighters, you know, that Usman Nurmagomedov hasn't had the opportunity to do so yet. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Usman's very, very talented can't touch the money line so in order to get a little bit different if you think perhaps it's going to go five rounds you want to target the fight goes to decision you don't really care one way or another that sits at plus 120 i think that's fine um for me personally i'm probably just going to pass or if i do anything it would probably be just looking at like you know ben henderson's very tough to submit for the most part that's why like anthony pettis submitting him was Mm -hmm. such a a rare occurrence it was pretty pretty weird because for a long time like benson henderson had gills. He, he could breathe within any choke attempt. Um, if, if you try to hit him with some arm bars or anything, he would be able to, you know, hyperextend his arms without tapping. And, you know, I, I made made by decision, uh, by submission sits at plus two twenty five. That's fine. I probably think that Nurmagomedov made of wins by decision sitting there at plus one twenty five. Um, a nice little, uh, performance here, just putting a stamp on his throne already. I'm probably just going to pass on the fight to be honest, but I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're looking to kind of get crazy, I might look at the Nurmaga Madoff wins round four or Nurmaga Madoff wins round five. Round four, uh, one, book, one book has that at, at a 10 to one and, and then round five, 13 to one. I mean, to me, yeah, you, I, like you said, you can't touch it. But like to me, if I'm Vincent Henderson, it, it's got to be about keeping this fight up against the fence. Do, do not make this a kickboxing matchup. Otherwise, uh, you know, I do see Nurmaga Madoff. Vincent Henderson did say this week that, Basically, this tournament is the end of his career. He, his goal is three more fights, which would be the conclusion of this tournament. I see you shaking your head over there. I, I look. They didn't do him any favors with this matchup either. You know what I mean? Like, oh, first round into it, Usman Nurmagomedov. Like, come on, it, bro. Give this guy a layup. Even though there's but, no real layups in the tournament, but still, come on. I almost feel like it's them throwing Benson Henderson a little bit of a bone part of this saying, Hey Benson, we're going to give you the chance to become, you know, be a triple crown winner in MMA. When you're talking about the WEC, the UFC and Bellator. I mean, like, as I, I mean, look, I think this lightweight tournament is a great tournament that Bellator has put together. Like I will say this, like, you know, the match between Shalvi and Musayev, I would love to see Musayev and and Nurmagomedov go at it. Obviously the dream final for Bellator in this, one is Usman Nurmagomedov versus AJ McKee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with you. And that's a nice way to think about it. Like maybe Benson was tiptoeing around the idea of retiring and they're like, no, 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 we got something big brewing. Um, and then they were like, you know, how about a shot at winning the title? And he's like, 
you know, I would like that little redemption and, and, and also to, you know, like, I like how you put it, the triple crown winner. I just think it's an extremely unlikely scenario that he, he wins over here against Usman Nurmagomedov. But, you know, my, my dad has like the same mentality as a lot of these guys. It's just like, you might as well go after the top guy if you're going to do anything at all. And um, at this time, I can actually see where that makes some sense. But I just think from like a realistic standpoint, Usman's just going to be a step ahead in every single um, you know facet of the game. Now, when it comes to the rest of this main card, I think the dogs are barking today, Pete. I think the dogs okay. are barking at Bellator. The, you know, look, more times than not, Bellator is heavy favorites every card. But you look at the other three fights that are on the main card, I think you can make a case for all three underdogs walk away with victories. Wow, I was re I was interpreting these odds wrong. Um, I like Tafik Musayev. Like I, I, I like Tafik Musayev here at, at plus sitting there at about plus one thirty five. I, I like him here against Alexander Shabili. Uh I, I think that's an interesting spot. I actually thought that he was gonna be slightly favored. Um, I'm with Valentin Moldovsky here getting a victory over Linton Vassell. You could make an argument though, because Vassell is pretty top. You know, when, when he gets on top, he, he's very dangerous. The the one that I have circled is the Goit, uh, Goiti Yamauchi against Michael Venom Page. Haven't really seen Venom Page, you know, since that bare knuckle, you know, I should say experiment. And it's kind of sad that Mike Perry went in there and just Mike Perry, bro, Mike Perry dropped him and kind of outlanded him. And I do think that Goiti has hands similar to Mike Perry, not as an aggressive of a style coming forward, but really he just needs one takedown. He wasn't afraid to take Naaman Gracie down. Um, ultimately got a knockout victory over Naaman. But I really think like I could see a rear naked choke here for Goiti Yamauchi. So um, I'm probably going to be looking at Goiti Yamauchi to win via submission. Um, a knockout's not impossible, but sitting there at plus 225 for his best path to victory. I, I think that this kid from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu savviness is atop of the charts. So I'm going to be targeting Goiti Yamauchi. I think Michael Venom Page is a dangerous, dangerous striker. I, I think like the, you know, he he's somewhat predictable now. And I, I think against a guy who can blend it decently well, I'm going to be targeting the underdog in Goiti Yamauchi. You know, I, like you, I thought Musayev should be the betting favor against Shadi. By the way, something I mentioned about uh, Usman Armagomedov, you mentioned about the, the star study corner he has. His corner tonight is Javier Mendez as the lead corner, Islam Mahachev, and Islam Maidov. That is his four guys, his corner tonight. That's a pretty, that's a pretty damn good corner. I mean, that's a damn good yeah. corner to have it there. Um, you know, Lynn Vassell Mendovsky, so this is a rematch. And if you remember, this was actually Vassell's his initial uh, start in the heavyweight division. At that time, he talked about and, and you know, he just didn't have his weight where it needed to be to maximize performance. But yeah, I think Vassell at plus two sixty, I think that's a great value got there. But look, Mendovsky is, is very tremendous. I think Bellator's hoping that Vassell wins this matchup to give them a fresh title matchup. You mentioned about Yamuchi and Page. I mean, look, this is Grappler versus Strike. And it's kind of crazy. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, Gochi Yamuchi was a 145-pound fighter. And it got to a point where he just couldn't make 145 anymore. Yeah. Then he struggled making 155. Now see, he's at 170. See, Pete, there is a path to you fighting 170. I know. And it's becoming more realistic every single day that ticks by. And I'll tell you what, um, I actually know Gochi Yamauchi pretty well, not from like a, a personal standpoint, but from studying him because... Um, actually one of my guys and one of my teammates, 
um, you know, Nate Andrews was supposed to fight him. So I did a whole camp of me breaking down a ton of Goiti Yamauchi film and coming up with an entire game plan of how to beat him and all that stuff. So um, I know some things that Michael Venom Page probably should look to exploit. But with all that being said, I, I thought that this was one of the toughest, if not the toughest opponent that my buddy was going to be facing. Goiti's a stud. And his issue is he can't he can't make weight. Um, he's fallen in love with weightlifting, tons of muscle added to his frame um, that does complement his jujitsu. But he seems to be like a grappler who's learned to fall in love with his hands a little bit, which is great. But at some point, you have to revert back to what brought brought you to the dance. Um, you know what I mean? Like when you have some of these phenomenal grapplers and wrestlers, they start touching people's chins and and seeing what it can do. They neglect what brought him to the dance. And I do think that if he gets into a striking matchup with Michael Venom Page, he has the power to actually put Page's lights out. I truly believe that. I just don't think it's the smartest thing to do. You're playing with fire right there. Just blend it, man. Blend it, and I think you'll be fine. Uh, I'm going to be picking Goiti Yamauchi, even though Michael Venom Page comes from the same type of fighting and background that I come from, point karate. So, uh, yeah, I'm going Moldovsky, minus 350. Uh, Goiti Yamauchi is going to be a sprinkle, especially with the submission prop. Um, and I like the underdog Tafik Musayev in addition to the, the favorite atop the, the main event of, uh, Usman Nurmagomedov. If I was going to go with a three fighter parlay on the main card, I would go Musayev, Vassell and MVP plus 1451. Yeah. I think it's the Vassell one for me. Like I just, he has skills. I just don't like backing guys so much when they're going up against dangerous punchers when I know they don't like getting hit. And that sounds so silly. Nobody likes getting hit, but certain people react very, very funny. And Linton Vassell kind of shows me that, where it's almost like you can pound him out. And I think that Moldovsky's going to end up TKOing him, if I'm being honest. So uh, Moldovsky, for me, via TKO, sits at plus 250. I don't hate your parlay at all. It's a... Uh, it's you know got it's, it has some nice numbers attached to it um, and could be a very profitable one. I'm um, just kind of on on the opposite end on some of those fights. Uh, in terms of the preliminary card, uh, a note from yesterday's weigh-in: Cass Bell missed weight by ten pounds yesterday, coming in at one forty-six. His matchup against Josh Hill is still on this card. Josh Hill came in at one thirty-six, uh, is now a contract weight of one hundred and forty-six pounds. Josh Hill, a four-to-one betting favorite. Um, Josh Hill, if you're looking to add a parlay piece, I don't mind getting yeah. Josh Hill as a parlay piece in there. Um, I do like Eric Barzola, Enrique Barzola, I should say, taking on Eric Perez. Uh, he's at minus 275. I, I do like him in that one. Um, I, unfortunately, the prospect on this card that uh, I was hoping to see compete, but he's off the fight card, is Bobby Serrano III. His opponent pulled out of that fight card. And uh, Serrano III is a, a prospect that Bellator has been developing, a, a guy out of the California scene. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I hope Caspell just keeps bumping up in weight uh, and comes to 155 one day. Um, but I think at this at this time, like it's just he's outgrown his weight class. I, I think that Josh Hill is a safe piece of the parlay. But with all that being said, it, there is something to a guy weighing not just a couple pounds more. What'd you say? 10 pounds more? He weighed yeah. 10 pounds, you know, heavy. So that's a lot. That's a completely different weight class. And, you know, it, it could actually fatigue josh hill throughout the fight um so be buyer beware there uh probably pivot to something else a little bit safer but i'm still going josh hill 
But yeah, I'll be watching these fights uh, here tonight. Uh, also, uh, Shine over in chat asking if we'll be watching a PFL as well. Um, when it comes to Challenger Series, I've kind of caught these fights after the fact more than anything else. But Impa Kasanganai is in the main event of this one. I would imagine that if Impa goes out there and gets the win, that uh, he is probably a guy that we'll see uh, in the upcoming season of the PFL. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I knew who his opponent was. Um, I don't know Osama LCD. I do know that Impa Kasanganai... Outside the UFC, his has looked decently well. And even in the UFC, I know that you were a big fan of him and thought that he had a little bit more promise and a little bit longer longer leash than the UFC gave him. Um, yeah, I, I would imagine that Impa's going to be fine. He's sitting there on minus 400, uh, rightfully so. The outside of getting hit and, and, and rocked, he's skilled in every department within mixed martial arts. So I, I think that he's a, a safe bet to kind of be a shoo-in for the, uh, for the tournament. Uh, by the way, I will be uh, creating our Fight HQ contest for UFC Las Vegas here later on today. I'll put that uh, here in the YouTube description. Also, that'll be in the show notes as well. I mean, look, I know, Pete, you're I, 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 I know I, I must be keeping you up at night knowing you can't beat me in the Lister League. I, I know that's keeping you up at night. What, what did you finish last week? Did you? I was surprised because you had I don't even think you took top three. Did you? I did not take top three. No, but you had Alexa Grasso. So when I saw she won. I was like, are you kidding me? And then, like, of course, Jason just like, like, oh, my God. He did it just I finished. I finished in ninth last lineup. week. But I don't know how you didn't finish higher because you had Alexa Grasso. And I believe you were the only one in the tournament, unless I'm completely wrong on that. Uh, no, 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 I was not the only one. Uh, no, the problem is I had Cody Garbrandt and Viviana Rujo in my lineup. And Cody Garbrandt literally only fought for 10 minutes. Um, yeah. Which I'm, I'm still. It's, it's been fascinating to see. I know, like, especially watching the fights live. Like there was obviously everyone was talking about Trevin Jones. And I'm like, are we just not going to talk about Cody Garbrandt? Literally coasted for the final five minutes and did abs, you know. And he talked about the injury, whatnot. And look, I get he fought safe, but I will tell you this right now: whoever they put up against Cody Garbrandt next, I'll be in full fade Cody Garbrandt season. <laughs> I mean, I I just think it was just trying to get back in the win column and trying to right the ship. And your job's on the line. Everything's on the line. There's so much to lose for Cody Garbrandt. Trevin Jones doesn't really have much to lose because I I think that he's on a lower end of the UFC division anyways. Surprised they gave him another opportunity to begin with. And they give you Cody Garbrandt, who's a chinny guy. And you, you refuse to throw punches. It was like, all right, this is your shot, kid. Like, throw more volume. Touch his chin. Every time you touch his chin he had a negative effect. And I, I think like if, you know, Saif Saud was probably all over Trevin Jones in the corner as he should have been. But I, I even think even more like throw something. Um, but I think it was the threat of the takedown is what really screwed up Trevin Jones. Cody Garbrandt, as Matt, my buddy Matt says, he did what he had to do. He did. It wasn't pretty at all. And I don't think it, it increased his stock at all. Um, but he got back in the win column, right? He's going to be completely matchup dependent. He needs to go up against another grappler, Hani Yaya, or something like that. I said it week, last week. Give him Cody Gar- Garbrandt, okay? Now at least you know Cody doesn't have to worry about getting touched on the chin so much, and he can let his hands go. You know, he was he was fighting scared a little bit, but he had so much to lose. I don't want to fault him at all for it. Uh, he got back in the win column, and uh, it, it proved to me that Trevin Jones was a complete fluke, and I was wrong. You know, I, I was wrong, but I just – I thought that he would throw something at least like yeah, give yourself yeah. a shot. You, you didn't even give yourself an opportunity to win. 
And, and I love safe side in that corner that just basically was like, dude, do you want to win this fight or what? I mean, that was basically what he was saying there. And uh, by the way, uh, congratulations to Texas ADVO 1991 for taking down first place last week. Uh, he came in with a score of 568.50. His lineup was John Jones, Grosso, Duplessis, Nickel, Gary, and Robotics. Damn, can't miss. Nice job. Nice job. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I talked about it on my podcast this week. Boy, John Jones made that thing look easy, bro. He made me look really silly. And it. the reason was, like, I just expected a longer fight. Like, you know what I mean? But that was the, that was the fear. It just took one. And levels. Levels on the mat. Um, no eagerness to fight the hands. No eagerness to get back to your feet. Just... I don't know, man. Like there was no fire and John Jones had all the fire and, uh, you know, he, he really just latched onto his prey and it was a quick, quick night. And I was like, well, it's okay. Uh, I mean, there's no argument what he's done and is, is exceptional. I don't know why I was actually really even doubting him. I'll take that on the chin. I, it was silly. Um, and I should have stuck to my guns and, and like my buddy, Matt retweeted, he went back into my Twitter history and he retweeted what I <laughs> tweeted. Like, a year ago and i said john jones beats them both and that was my knee-jerk reaction and i honestly think i just over over analyzed the situation and props to jason for kind of you know just keeping you guys on the straight edge and 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 you know just seeing things for what they were whereas i'm sitting over here like oh diving into it deep and a little bit too much and uh, props to jason and hopefully everybody else that that cashed on that ridiculous line hindsight being 2020 think about how like crazy that line is and he was just sitting there and what was he like minus 160 minus 150 and what 8400 on DraftKings? like that is absurd in hindsight being 2020 you know what i mean like it's it's quite ridiculous yeah you know i went back and watched the fight a second time and and i don't know if you you had this maybe thought of watching the fight is i thought the moment got to gone when you just saw him, I, I, I just, oh, yeah. I just felt like it, it, that moment kind of got to him. And, you know, and, and one of the things that you, you always love seeing is kind of the aftermath on social media, one on the main event, one on the co-main event, the main event. It was a week before Jones goes to Vegas. He's working with Henry Cejudo and Cejudo goes over that exact scenario of yeah. what to do and how to keep your opponent in that position. And then the video of Alexa Grosso working on that back take that she took against Shevchenko. It just it just shows and it, it kind of made me think about you know, there was I want to say it was on embedded last week where Jones it was either on a countdown or embedded. And he talked about it, he goes, I don't understand why fighters don't watch tape and they rely on their coaches. He goes, This is my homework. This is for me to get ready for battle. And he goes, you, you may watch a fight a thousand times, but maybe it's that 1,000th time that there's just some tendency you see. And in the Grosso instance, they saw a tendency to where they felt they could take the back. And, and kudos to Grosso for taking advantage of that and her team for, you know, finding that flaw in Shevchenko's game. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times what's practiced back in the, back in the, uh, the warm-ups it actually materializes. Like if you think back, like Conor McGregor visualizing how he was going to beat Jose Aldo, stepping back in with a boom left hand. Alexa Grasso waiting for Valentina Shevchenko, who's actually her sparring partner in the back, throw a spinning back kick for her to step to the opposite side of it, take the back into a slam, into a back take, into a rear naked choke. Picture perfect. Uh, Henry Cejudo going over some 
you know, minor details that actually ended up being the the ending of the fight against Cyril Gaon. So um, there's a lot of things, and it's a very important to have you know great minds and coaching staff surrounding you. But ultimately, you have to have the correct reactions and you have to have the correct reads. That's why I rely a lot on my instincts, but also through preparation by watching watching fight film. Like I, I live and breathe it. You guys know, like I, I sometimes watch too much film. Um, but with all that being said, I'm prepared for a lot more than what other people are. Um, but you know, some everybody's different, but I would agree with John Jones. Like you you should be watching film. Every other sport watches film. You play football, you know. I'm sure the Buccaneers watch a ridiculous amount of film, like absurd. People hate it. They despise it. You either need to memorize the playbook. Well, you have to do both. You have to memorize the playbook, and you better watch film leading up to that game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of uh, Warren Sapp talked about this years ago, where uh, this was when Vic was the quarterback of the Falcons. And to kind of give you just a football perspective of this, yeah. they literally gave the defense every third and ten the Falcons had that year. And it was all about what does Vic do? And the, the funniest part of that story is Simeon Rice in his team meeting yells, hey, man, is this a highlight tape? <laughs> well, I mean, but that's good, though, right? You're preparing them for the worst. And um, in, I, I think, like, there are some things to take from other sports. And when preparation meets opportunity, you know what I mean? Like, you you have to take advantage of it. And you could tell who was prepared and who wasn't. And Cyril Gunn was clearly unprepared. Yeah. And then, of course, I don't know if you saw uh, Habib had a tweet says, come to Dagestan, bro. We'll teach yeah, you some wrestling. He needs a lot more than that, brother. He needs a lot more than that. But I, I, I thought it was nice you, you know, saying that. But. You know who, I don't know if you saw this, you know who mm-hmm. apparently Greg Jackson has labeled who he thinks could be the biggest threat to John Jones at heavyweight? At heavyweight? Yes. I missed it. Who? Tom Aspinall. Told you what I tell you about my boy. Y'all better. <laughs> oh, my God. What I tell you about my boy. Asp, I tell you, yes. I have good eyes for the sport and finding prospects. And I'm so happy, like, you know, that a lot of these ones that I've labeled a prospect have actually materialized into one. Aspinall's a stud. He's got a long road to recovery coming. Um, But, yeah, there's one on this card today that I don't necessarily label as a prospect. I think he's somewhat been uh, exposed and I'm pretty sure you guys know I'm talking about Romanov. So can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, we're going to break this one down for you. Of course, UFC Las Vegas tomorrow lock is at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, uh, this will be a fight in front of fans at the Virgin Hotels there uh, in Las Vegas at the theater. This is the old, the joint, the Hard Rock uh, Casino. The, if you remember UFC distance shows there, WEC distance shows back in the day. So, uh, All right. Yeah, Nolan King uh, said that uh, they reached out to the UFC. It will be the small cage tomorrow night, so that's obviously something to kind of think about. We're talking about striking, grappling, and, of course, grappling is going to go into our breakdown of the main event of Jan and Dvavishvili. Peter Jan is a minus 275 betting favorite, plus 210 for Marab. And then we look at the DFS salaries, 9200 for Jan, 7000 for Dvavishvili, and on FanDuel, $23 for Jan, 16 for Marab. Pete, break us down for us. I'll tell you what, from a salary standpoint, if talking DFS quickly, like Marab's at such a cheap price tag for a five-round fight, he's going to be very popular, especially if you think he's going to win the fight. If he can win three rounds and not get finished, 7000 is a broken price tag, and then you uh, accompany that price tag with his work rate and his high takedown 
um, has high takedown rates, and uh, he he can break the slate even in a loss. So I think that Marab Dalishvili is going to be very popular, rightfully so. I'm leaning the other way. I'm actually picking uh, Peter Jan to to win the fight. But as from as far as a salary standpoint, like I'm probably going to stack it in some of my some of my lineups. Um, I worry about Marab's chin. I have to be honest. I, I think that he is susceptible to getting rocked and knocked out. Um, in addition to that, there aren't too many worries for me. Like I don't think like Piotr Jan's going to submit him. That's just not his game. I don't think that Piotr Jan's going to outwork Marab Dalishvili. The motor of Marab Dalishvili and the pace that at which he fights separates himself from a ton of these fighters. I mean, listen to some of these takedown attempts. O of sixteen against Jose Aldo. Don't like seeing O of sixteen there. Uh, four of four against Marlon Rice. Five of eleven against John uh, against Cody Stamen. Two of twenty against John Dodson. Thirteen of eighteen against Gustavo Lopez. Twelve of twenty-four against Casey Kenny. Eleven of twenty-three against Frankie Science. Six of twenty-two against uh, Ricky Simone. So, with all that being said, like in a five-round atmosphere, if it ever reaches five rounds, he could like completely break the slate. Just because I think Piotr Jan's not going to be held down. He has a completely different style of fighting than his teammate and good friend Aljamain Sterling. Sterling relies on a solid wrestling, good takedown, ton of control time though. Um, he will control you, take your back, more of like a backpacker than a uh, takedown, let you up type of style. Uh, Aljamain Sterling's fine with getting into a good position, pounding you out, hunting a rear naked choke, better than most people within any division. I, I'm still like not convinced that Piotr Jan is going to just completely get ragdolled here against Marab Dalishvili. I think that Piotr Jan has a diverse striking arsenal to hit Marab with a knee up the middle, punch or elbow on the break from distance. Uh, I think you could just really pick him apart from range. So 9,200 is fine. I think there is a worry that he he gets off to a slower start. He, he tends to take his time, especially in five-round atmosphere. If this was with a, was a three-round fight, Jason, I actually think you can make the argument that Marab's going to win two rounds and, and you know steal the decision. Five rounds, I think it favors Piotr Jan. You and I were kind of talking about this yesterday, and I would agree with that. So I'm going to be get to getting to Marab Daljavili from a salary standpoint. Piotr Jan's a fine play, five rounds, couldn't rack up a couple takedowns himself. Couldn't end up getting a couple knockdowns. Marab's very tough, fights through adversity pretty well. The Marlon Rice fight shows that, you know, Marab's chin is susceptible. His defensive tendencies are readable. And I think a guy in Piotr Jan who can really just, you know, digest everything that Marab's throwing at him, you know, and then, you know, go out there and put together a strong performance. If I was looking at it from a, a prop standpoint, if I'm backing Piotr Jan, I'm probably expecting him to get a finish. I, I don't think that he's going to win a decision over Marab Dalishvili. I think he needs to needs to finish him. So uh, Peter Jan sitting there to win via TKO KO sits at plus two fifty. That's probably what my bet will be. Um, I will leave the main main card off of any of my parlays just to be safe. Uh, as far as like DFS salary ninety two hundred Peter Jan, I think is fine. I will stack in some of them, but yeah, the pick is Peter Jan. You know, we were talking about this yesterday. When we talk about the betting side, I think Jan is going to be a great potential live betting scenario because he is typically a guy that does get off to a slow start. So you may get a better number for you after round one than, say, you know, betting this fight right from the start. Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of the prop bets, Davavishvili plus 325 to win by decision sticks out to me. 
Jan via TKOKO, I like what you said there. Plus 250. In terms of the DFS side of this equation, it is going to be hard for me to get away from Marab in cash games. And I I don't think it matters whether you're playing 50-50s or head-to-heads, multipliers, that Marab is just going to be extremely highly owned. And the problem is in a cash game scenario, if you want to get away from that, my fear would be is even in a loss, does Marab get you 40 points, 50 points because of getting some early takedowns. Now, you know, the stat I did pull yesterday, Aljo against Jan in their two fights was three for 39 in takedown attempts. And I know you brought to me and said, look, they're, they're different wrestling styles here. Um, in terms of GPPs, I don't mind getting to Marab I, and I don't mind the, the cash aspect of it either. But to me, I just think Jan's a better fighter here. And I do wonder what does the Vajvili look like in round four and round five, just because we haven't seen it. Yeah, I think it'd be fine. Um, but, you know, we, we haven't seen it. Uh, Piotr Jan has only one first round finish in the UFC, and that was his debut against uh, Taruto Ishihara. Um, and he only has one second round finish, and that's against Douglas Silva de Andrade. So both, both of those were back in 2018. Everything beyond that's been in round three, round four, or going the distance. So, uh, you know, the Jose Aldo fifth round finish was a complete butcher, butchering. And it was just like sad to see Jose Aldo go out like that. I can see a similar performance from Piotr Jan here against Marab Dalishvili after a failed takedown attempt, um, a sneaky sweep that Piotr lands, um, hurting Marab Dalishvili. You don't have to be the better wrestler or grappler to get into an advantageous position. You just have to hurt your opponent and then get into an advantageous position. You know what I mean? Like I would say like Piotr Jan's grappling entries aren't going to get him into the better spots against Marab. I think it's going to be his striking, which then could lead to an ultimate, ultimately a finish. So I'm going to go Piotr, Piotr Jan here at 9,200. Can't fault you if you're going to Marab Dalashvili. I think it's more of a punt. I would actually be very surprised if if Marab Dalashvili beats Piotr Jan. I just think styles make fights. Uh, I think that Aljo had to pull out his best performances to beat Piotr Jan. And I actually think that this is a step down in competition, even though Marab's good. Mm-hmm. I just think that, you know, fighting against Aljamain Sterling has elevated Piotr Jan to another level, especially showing him some things he needs to work on. I don't think that uh, Dalashvili is going to be able to go out there and do the same things that uh, Aljamain Sterling were able to. Yeah, I mean, the one thing, though, if you are looking to get leverage on the field in these bigger GPPs, you know, having a percentage of your lineups, not having either one of these fighters is going to be a great way for you to get different than the field. I mean, just look at the ownership projections out there right now. I mean, that that's like as much as like, you know, I think of the cash aspect from Rob, when I think of GPPs, I'm like, God, I mean, if I'm playing in a 150 max and I'm sitting there going, make, make. 20% of your lineups not have the main event. I like it. And the reason I like it is because we've seen Piotr Jan, uh, Piotr Jan go five rounds, scored 50 against Aljamain Sterling. That was a loss. So let's call it 80 in a win. Um, five rounds against Corey Sanhagen, who was very durable, scored 108. All you need are six other fighters to get you 100-plus points. Yep. It's much more you know, likely that a five round fighter makes it into the optimal lineup. But with historically how Jan starts slow and stylistically how Dalashvili looks to take you to the ground, even control him against the cage, 
you could have a Piotr Jan fourth, uh, a third, fourth, or fifth round finish and still not be optimal. So I'm going to avoid the main event, and I would say probably a quarter of my lineups just to be different because I know that the ownership is going to be through the roof. Yeah. Let's move over to the co-main event. It's a heavyweight matchup. We got Romanov taking on Volkov. Romanov a minus 150 betting favorite, plus 125 for Volkov over on the DFS side of the equation. 8600 for Romanov on DK, $17 on FanDuel. Volkov, he's 7600 on DK and 14 on FanDuel. Pete, which thoughts? Man, you guys know that Romanov is my boy. I love Romanov, but he's been exposed. And it's pretty clear that developmentally he's lacking in a way. He seems to be a guy that goes out there and is the complete boom-bust guy on the slate. He can break the slate or he could fail in the cardio department. Um, He scored 100-plus in four of his six fights, 127 against Roki Martinez, 110 against Marcos Rogerio de Lima, 133 against Jared Vandera, and 112 against Chase Sherman. He's so dangerous in round one, but he has a pacing issue. And there are some people that are just so damn stubborn. They don't know how to change. And in addition to that, it could be like nervous energy. It's almost like he fights like an amateur. And you guys know that I like Romanov a lot. I think that in certain matchups, he can go out there and completely dominate. Here against Alexander Volkov, it could literally take one takedown. He could go down there, put Volkov on his back, put his heavy body weight on him, ground and pound him into oblivion, uh, submit him with an arm, uh, an arm bar or, you know, a- any type of submission on the mat and you wouldn't be surprised. But outside of round one, man, I do really worry, and especially against the guy who's going to be poking and prodding at your body like Alexander Volkov. Mm-hmm. I think that the straight kicks and the knees up the middle um, need to be utilized here against Romanov. So like Volkov needs to, throw front kicks right to the solar plexus, right to the face, uh, avoid anything that's going to be ineffective, like lazy round kicks that you can get countered down the middle, anything that can get caught, keep everything snappy and sharp. And I think that he could actually deplete the cardio system of Alexander Romanov. Romanov went out there and looked phenomenal against Marcin Tybora, who's a very, very talented grappler in round one. Outside of that, in rounds two and three, he was somewhat of a sitting duck. And we saw Marcin Taibora, who's not an exceptional striker. He's a solid striker, looked like he was just a better fighter. And it was a it was an ugly contest. And that GPP potential and ceiling out of Romanov was completely gone after round one. He can go back to the well and try to get takedowns. It's just I don't think his cardio is going to allow it. Volkov's pretty big, pretty strong, likes to butcher people. If this was five rounds, Jason, I would be all over Volkov. All over. With it being three rounds and it being heavyweight division, he could take him down and just lay on top of him, and that could be enough to basically have enough control time to win the round, or it could be the same thing against the cage. That's my one worry here, but there's another side of the coin where I think that Volkov is a little bit better than people think, can move. Um, Tom Aspinall is just a complete stud and had that John Jones type of timing that Jones had against Cyril Gaon. You know what I mean? Uh, Tom Aspinall had that against uh, Alexander Volkov. Took him down, submitted him relatively quickly. And uh, I I think I'm going to be backing the underdog here, Alexander Volkov. I I don't want to. I wish I could just say pass on this fight. But there are enough red flags about Romanov 
that makes me want to say he's he's going to truly get exposed and get knocked out one of these days. It's just a matter of if Volkov's the guy. If it was five rounds, I'd be planting my flag and say it is. I will be leaning in Volkov's direction now. As a, as a laugh, uh, as you're you're talking there, and uh, Matt in the chat says, "I guess I'm the new president of the Romanov fan club." Yeah, you might be. I, I I demoted myself, so Matt, that's okay. And I think from like upside and and ceiling standpoint, like it makes a ton of sense to get to him. But I think like a there's a lot of volatility surrounding this. You know what I mean? And a ton of volatility and Volkov to win by decision, sitting there at plus four hundred. I like that. I do like that. I think that's worth a sprinkle. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the question mark with Romanoff is what happens if this fight it gets into minute eight, minute nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. You know, that to me is the big question mark with him. And I think this is a matchup that's really going to tell us whether or not Romanoff truly is a guy that can be top five in this division. I mean, you know, looking over prize picks, his takedown prop is at two and a half. I think he might hit that over easily. I could see where he, he gets down, but Volkov gets right back up. And that number, he may hit three takedowns in one round. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. That's his best path. So anytime you see somebody's best path sitting there and, and you are kind of dancing along that line, just hit the over. Because if they go out there with the correct game plan, they're going to smash that line all day long. I think, like just his game in general, he he really reminds me of like an amateur. He truly does. Like you, you know, man, you amateurs go out there and they act like it's a one round fight, and it's great when you're winning. Yeah. But after round one, like you see levels, and that's when you see somebody who's poised and composed they go out there and they take their time and they methodically pick apart their opponents and it's like he's not there man i I just don't see development from that i'm worried and maybe he proves me wrong maybe this is i gotta pick against him for him to actually be like nah pete come back and and join the fan club again but uh yeah i'm gonna pick against him here against alex i'm gonna pick uh, alexander volkov to beat him but because of his fighting style and the DraftKings scoring system, he has that Correct. chance to be a slate breaker for what he can do in terms of that takedown aspect. But I do like what you presented when you start breakdown this fight of, you know, potentially of Volkov going to the body to wear down. We'll see how that plays out. Next up, we got a matchup that we broke down a couple of weeks ago, Nikita Krylov and Ryan Spann. Of course, uh, that fight was canceled on fight day when it was a, I believe it was a food, uh, food poisoning type situation, stomach bug with uh, Nikita Krylov, 8,700 for Krylov on DK, 7,500 for Spann, 17 and 13 respectively over on FanDuel. Nikita Krylov is a minus 170 betting favorite, plus 145. I want to say that's the same betting line it was back when these two guys fought uh, or scheduled to fight a couple weeks ago. This is a matchup at 215 pounds. Um, so that's uh, something to kind of note here. And that was, uh, I know John Morgan reported on that earlier on in this week. And on the betting side, Pete, the thing that stuck out to me is Ryan Spann to win via TKO KO plus 325. That one uh, stuck out to me. I mean, look, we've bro- broken down this fight before, um, you know, and um, I, I, my thoughts really haven't changed much on it. Um, I, I think I'm probably maybe more in the Ryan Span aspect in this one, but I also do understand understand there is volatility with Ryan Span if he doesn't get the key to cry off out in the first round. Yeah, there's volatility on both sides. I have to be honest. Um, if you tell me somebody wins a decision, I think it's Nikita Krylov. You think somebody gets a an early finish, I think it's going to be Ryan Span. But Nikita Krylov can definitely find 
um, a finish early also. 10 and 7 in the UFC, Ryan Span 7 and 2. I was worried about this fight being rebooked for numerous reasons, right? Like Nikita Krylov was forced to pull out and clearly he was ill and clearly the UFC did not like what was going on or he or the coaching staff, he was pulled. So we don't know how it's going to affect him and going forward. We don't know how that affects his training. We don't know how that affects anything. Um, probably made like, he probably could have made weight. No problem at all. Especially if it was like a foodborne illness or, or something. Um, as far as like Ryan Spann, if a guy in Ryan Spann who struggled to make weight consistently throughout his career was forced to now cut weight two weeks again, I just thought that he would be somewhat of a zombie on the scale. You know what I'm saying? And now that it's at 215, a nice little catch weight, Ryan Spann's, you know, he even talked about how he was so upset at the post fight, but didn't even have a fight, but at the, the post fight press conference he was talking about and he was just very emotional because he put so much time and effort into this camp and he's like i'm just going to get back and i talked to my coach so i'm going to get back in the gym on monday and that's what i like to see because this is a guy who struggled with being consistent in the gym supposedly i think the fact that he doesn't have to cut an unnecessary amount of weight in a short time actually favors him here you know i was backing nikita krilov in the initial matchup so many intangibles and so many X factors with this fight, right? Like super volatile, make a group on stochastic.fantasycruncher.com. Highly suggest getting to this fight because I think the under two and a half is the play. I, I think that somebody's going to be getting finished here. I actually lean more in the Ryan Span direction now. I have to be honest. I, I think that Span inside the distance makes a ton of sense. It's sitting there at about plus 200. Can he knock him out? Absolutely. We've seen Nikita Krylov kind of rush things and run into shots, uh, leave his neck out there, get subbed, uh, questionable fight IQ, questionable fight IQ out of Ryan Spann as well. So I am all, I'm actually going to flip and I'm going to go to Ryan Spann this week. The under one and a half sits at minus 155. I think that's interesting. Uh, I'll probably take the under one and a half, but if you ever want to do like super safe parlays and I'll give you guys one before we leave today, if you target some of these, under two and a half. So I know that they're large numbers. If you parlay like three of them together, you're getting tremendous plus money, three or four of them together. And it's like, it's pretty damn safe when you do it that way. So uh, I'm going to be flipping and going with the underdog Ryan Spann here at plus 140. And at 7,500, I think he's uh, a great value play this week. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I will be targeting in GPPs just because of that upside that he has. You know, with him finishing this fight, and I would probably say, you know, underneath seven and a half minutes. So, you know, potentially maybe targeting the under one and a half rounds. You know, you mentioned about that win via decision for Krylov at plus 550 is definitely one that sticks out to me as well. And of course, I just did look up both uh, fighters have already weighed in. They both weighed in at 213 pounds. One fighter has missed weight already. Uh, that Ooh. is Jared Gooden, uh, who missed weight by six pounds. Yeah. Uh, um, somebody that I follow on Twitter, they follow us as well. Um, I think he's close with Jared Gooden. He, he actually mentioned like, yeah, Gooden took this fight on short notice, which we all know. Um, and I think it was pretty expected that he was going to miss weight. So that, yeah, um, that that's that was like in these type of situations. That's where the manager yeah. will tell the UFC, like, look, he can't make it. You know, why don't well, they just make a catch weight? Then I don't understand that. Like, 
I, I don't eat, you know, that it's likely one of those situations. And, and you know, so this in a situation like that, Jason, let me ask you. Right. And, um, instead of just like having some leverage of helping UFC out and getting a catch weight, let's say he has an outstanding performance. Now he's ineligible to receive a bonus. Correct. Or do you think like they would like, well, buy the book? It, by the book, he would not be eligible to win a bonus, but we saw Jeff Neal get a bonus last week when he missed weight. Did he end up getting it? Dana said they were going to give him the uh, his portion of the fight of the night bonus. Now, why would they do that? Like, a, it was a hell of a fight, but that uh, now you're kind of like towing that line of what the hell is. You damn have good to question. set a standard for missing weight. Damn he good question. Give him his bonus. Yeah, Dane, Dane said at the post by press conference that he didn't care that he was going to give it. Uh, by the way, uh, Samuel asked what span via sub is. Uh, that is plus 500. I like that. Nikita Krylov is, uh, makes a ton of mistakes. Even though he's the better control grappler in this situation, I think that he can get you know caught in a guillotine. And Span has one hell of a guillotine. Yeah, uh, let's move over. Next up, we got Ricardo Hamos taking on Austin Lingo. Hamos is a minus three sixty betting favorite, plus two eighty for Austin Lingo. Lingo been out for some time. Uh, over at the DFS side of the equation, ninety five hundred for Hamos on DK, twenty one dollars on Fanduel, and for Lingo, he is sixty seven hundred on DK, nine dollars on Fanduel. And uh, yeah, Pete, uh, can Austin Lingo keep this fight on the feet? That's the way I kind of look at this matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think he needs to keep it on the feet, um, and he needs to look to bully Ricardo Hamosh. Uh, I think the blueprint's out there. Watch the Lerone Murphy fight. Lerone Murphy went out there with zero respect for Ricardo Hamosh. Um, looks to press him against the cage. Not press him against the cage, but really put Hamosh on that black line, throw big bombs. Any attempt that Hamosh has, it's just kind of stifled, and then he's punished. If Lingo goes out there with that Chuck Liddell type of mindset, he can walk away with a finish, no problem at all. Ricardo, how much sometimes gets slept in round one? Slept in round one against Sayyid Nurmagomedov, round one against Lerone Murphy, um, lost the decision to Zubaira Tukagov. But I, I have to say that he's just a more complete mixed martial artist here than Austin Lingo is. Lingo can throw probably at a higher volume than Ricardo Hamosh, um, but like limited accuracy. Threw 181 against Saldana, landed only 73. That's pretty porous. 182 against Jacob Kilburn, landed 95. He needs to keep the fight on the feet. Um, he defended 17 takedowns against Jacob Kilburn, which is fantastic. Five against Luis Saldana and six against Yusuf Zalal. But Zalal was able to take him down, control him at times, and showed levels. I think that Ricardo Hamosh, for me, if I predict how this fight's going to go, He's an untrust, untrustworthy striker. He throws a ton of spin and shit that I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. It's he's not he. I can't say he's not good at it. He has two spin and elbow finishes, but it's not a technique that I, as a coach, would be calling for or telling my guy. It's like a super des- desperate move, and a lot of his striking is like out of desperation. Um, and instead of trying to hit a home run every time and try to hit in singles and doubles, he's trying to hit a home run every time, which is great. Um, but I think that he is so technical and he doesn't fight within his technical abilities. I foresee a back take into a rear naked choke for Ricardo Hamosh here. With all that being said, though, the price of 6700 for a guy going up against Ricardo Hamosh, a guy that I'm not too high on from like a striking standpoint, um, is fine. Is like a fine punt. Uh, looking at the ownership, 
I say that's about right. I, I think the ownership on Lingo is about right. That's probably what I'll have. Nothing more. Um, but yeah, I, I'm expecting Ricardo Hamosh. Good performance en route to a submission finish. And if, if you look for the submission finish there, I, I think it's his best path to victory. And how much to win via sub sits at plus 225. That's what I'm thinking. Well, Pete, got some news for you. Hamos has no missed way. weight by eight pounds. Hamos? Yes, he missed weight by eight pounds, weighed in at 154. Wow. I, I like Which, Hamos even more. I like which, how, well, I the, the question really ultimately becomes is whether this fight moves forward or not. That could be very much as much be a doctor equation more than anything else where that doctor feels he's fit enough to continue to fight. But, you know, that's going to be something we have to now see if he, you know, a if this fight goes forward, because one, you know, as you were talking, breaking down the fight before I saw the news of him missing weight, one of my thoughts was from a DFS perspective, I'm looking at the ownership and looking at these 9000 options that aren't getting the plus 30% ownership. And he's one of those guys that even at 9,500, if you think he can go out there and maybe submit lingo in round one, it's a guy that could break the slate. Yeah. I mean, he can break the slate. Um, I, I have to go back and actually watch the, the weigh in now. Cause I kind of want to see if like, does he look out of shape? Does it look like he had an injury? Ultimately we don't know. Or did he really just want to solidify a win by being heavier and having that grappling advantage? Um, we'll have to see. What I would suggest is leave Ricardo Hamos out of your parlays. I, I just think now is like a perfect time to avoid having him there. If you're going to bet the fight, bet it solo. Keep it by itself. I still like Hamos to get the submission, especially now that he's heavier. But if, for say, he's injured or out of shape, I don't want to bank on that within my parlay. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that I, I would agree, Matt, that Dana does need to put his foot down when it comes to weight misses. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the weight miss aspect of it is just more of is that injury related? Right. I mean, if it's and that's something we don't know, right? Like that's all the unknowns. And then they get on the mic. They're like, oh, I had a torn ACL. This whole camp's like, hey, genius. I, I wish you didn't fight. Or I wish we knew, but clearly, you know, you need a paycheck and, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And sometimes you go into a fight completely banged up and there should be some levels of uh, discomfort and pain and nagging injuries going into a fight. Um, if you're training correctly, for the most part, a lot of people don't take care of themselves from a recovery aspect. And I think that's where more injuries occur than anything. Um, so, yeah, I would recommend leaving Hamosh off of your parlays bet that fight solo don't hate the idea of lingo winning a decision or via you know ko tko but i think the most likely situation is a plus 225 ricardo hamish takes the back in route to a rear naked choke let's move over to the next matchup we got saeed nirmaga made off taking on jonathan martinez nirmaga made off 9100 on dk 19 dollars on fanduel 7100 for martinez on dk $11 on FanDuel. Saeed is a minus 275 favorite. Jonathan Martinez is plus 220. Pete, break it down for us. Well, I mean, it's it's an interesting fight, right? Like Because you have a guy who's overperformed for the large majority of his UFC tenure, in my opinion, and that's Jonathan Martinez. I mean, I, I just, even till this day, I don't think that he's amazing. 
I think he's solid, you know. But on the flip side, I don't think that Said Said Nurmagomedov is anything amazing as well. I mean, he has a much prettier record inside the UFC. Uh, you have Said Nurmagomedov sitting there at six and one in the UFC. Jonathan Martinez actually developed a seven and three record despite starting off one and two. Dropped his debut to Andre Sukumtat, who I know is a, a buddy. Um, beat uh, Lu Ping Yuan, then lost a split decision to a CES name in Andre Yule. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, seeing Jonathan Martinez struggling with some of these regular guys that have gone onto the UFC from a New England promotion, I had lower standards for him. And uh, I don't know, man. Like, is Viad Lazif really Alejandro Perez, Vince Morales, Cub Swanson at the tail end of the career? Clearly his biggest win. But now he's going up against a, a mirror match against Saeed Nurmagomedov, who enjoys to strike. Uh, I picked Saeed Yokob uh, Kakramanov to beat him because I thought that the wrestling would just completely dismantle him over time. And man, oh man, Kakramanov looked like a stud up until he got caught in that beautiful ninja choke guillotine, and boom, it was over. But outside of having a nice choking arsenal, um, there's some unknowns surrounding Saeed uh, Nurmagomedov. He has gone to the takedown well in some of his fights. In his debut, he attempted 11 takedowns despite not having some crazy wrestling acumen. Uh, against Douglas Silva de Andrade, he attempted five. I actually think that if he wants to take down Jonathan Martinez, he can. And that's how he should put a stamp on a round. They could be content with having a kickboxing matchup. Uh, you have a nice southpaw in Martinez who buries kicks very, very well. Hits really hard. Um, never really seen this, but like he kept hitting Cub Swanson on the inside with an inside leg kick. And like I've never seen somebody like react to the way they saw Cub Swanson react to that. Like it goes to show that Cub was spending so much time developing his boxing that you know it's just different when you blend everything together. So um, Martinez is live to pull off the upset here. I still will pick Saeed Nurmagomedov to win at ninety one hundred. Um, I don't necessarily love the line of minus two seventy five for Nurmagomedov when you have Martinez sitting there at plus two twenty. Slight value on Martinez, still picking Nurmagomedov, but yeah, I, I'm probably going to pass. You know, in general, I, I just think that the the numbers are a little too wide. It's probably more. It's a, it's a little bit closer, but I'm still favoring mm-hmm. Nurmagomedov here. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Martinez, uh, him and Chris Gutierrez there at Factory X are really the, – they're the leg kickers at that gym. And, and one of the, yeah. the funniest things about Jonathan Martinez is Jonathan Martinez is more nervous to do an interview than he is to actually fight. He, he talks about this. And it, I was interviewing one of his teammates there at Factory X, uh, Markwell Medeiros, and he said um, – he's talking about how Coach Montoya one day tells Jonathan to break the team down. And Jonathan is a very soft talker, very soft talker. And uh, Montoya goes, hey, man, I told you to break him down. This ain't a whispering contest. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's a soft-spoken kid, man. And, you know, it's somewhat – he's sneaky. You know what I mean? It's He's very unsuspecting. Yeah, I mean – So he, like, flies under the radar a little bit. Now you see him beat Cub Swans, and you're like, that kid? The you know what I mean, but it's you don't have to always be bold and brash to to have success at all. He's just a, he's a hard worker, man. He's I, in the gym all the time, good sparring partners, and uh, you know he's kind of like Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, like tons of anxiety or or just you know 
not comfortable with dealing with the media or anything, but he'd rather go in there and just, just fight. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those fights from a DFS perspective I really don't like, and I understand yeah. why it's getting a little ownership on, on both sides of the equation. Um, you know, especially Jonathan Martinez, like if I think about his path to victory, I'm just thinking about it, him just winning a standing matchup, no takedowns, no knockdowns, and then you're probably, best case scenario, 75 points. That's what I'm saying. I mean, but he is at 7,100, so it would allow you to get to other things. But I just think in terms of like, <clears throat> it'd probably be more of maybe more looking on the cash side more than anything else, you know, but uh, I, I don't love this one for GPPs. But, you know, in terms of, you know, maybe looking at maybe Saeed Naranga Madoff, maybe if you want to get some plus money as opposed to the minus 275 on the money line, maybe you go plus 150 to win via decision. Yeah, for me, I, I'm just going to. I think the over one and a half is already juiced. It sits at minus two seventy five, minus three hundred. Not not too bad. I, I expect it's going to go a little bit longer. They're going to be patient. It's going to be a kickboxing matchup as long as Nurmagomedov wants it to be. Hopefully, Martinez's chin holds up. Grant really put him on his backside, and we've seen other guys that have talented striking outstrike Jonathan Martinez as long as they're not afraid to do so. So, I'm going to be picking Nurmagomedov. It's a pass in general for me, and. I just I don't know. I would be very surprised if Demagomedov went out there and broke the slate from a DFS aspect. So yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. Now let's move over to Pete's favorite salary fight of the week. Uh, of course, if you listen to the show for a while, you know what I'm talking about. A two hundred eight thousand matchup. Vitor he's a two hundred fifteen over on Fanduel. Anton, he's 8,016 on FanDuel. Anton, a minus 115 betting favorite, minus 105 for Vitor on the other side. And, you know, Pete, I think from a GPP aspect, I think this is a fight that we may have to hit to be able to be optimal. Yeah, and Jason, I'll tell you what, I'm on a two, two-week win streak as far as picking the correct 8,200, 8,000 fight. Last week, I wish I wouldn't have increased my Viviani Araujo exposure because I was initially correct with Amanda Hibas. Um, but that's just me being a little insecure and being like, eh, I don't like some of these other underdogs. And that was mainly because I wasn't getting to Alexa Grasso as a punt. So I will say, usually do the opposite of what the hell I tell you for this salary. Um, <laughs> I wish I could gloss over it. Um, you, you have a very dangerous striker in Vitor Petrino who um, – he looks limited, to be honest, and he looks somewhat of a gasser. Throws with heat, bad intentions, questionable ground game, excellent finisher. You have Anton Turkali, who's a guy who's just a extremely hateable type of character. I just can't stand him in the media. Um, for me personally, I want to root against him. I hope he gets knocked out. But reality is, skill versus skill, we have Anton Turkali here who's more well-rounded than Vitor Petrino, at least from what I've seen from the uh, the fight film. Um, I don't necessarily view Anton Takali as a guy that has a horrible chin. I view it as a guy that doesn't really enjoy getting into a firefight and would much much rather rely on his grappling. And Vitor Petrino via KO, I think, would be the only pick if I'm going to be backing Petrino here. And Vitor Petrino, who is a you know minus 105 to win via TKO chaos, it's at plus 175. So if that's how I'm playing him from a betting standpoint, I'm just going to take the KO prop because mm-hmm. I do think the better minute winner will be Anton Tricali, even though I can't stand this gentleman. Um, so yeah, Tricali's going to look to blend in his wrestling, threaten and tax Vitor Petrino, 
hopefully en route to a submission finish. Tokali via submission sits at plus 550. And I also think that Tokali is not afraid to strike, but it's not the best course of action for him. He needs to mix it all up. Tokali to win via TKO KO sits at plus 300. I don't know, man. I, I'm just going to pick the guy that I don't think gasses, if I'm being honest. And from what I've seen from Vitor Petrino, I, I like what I see. It's just he seems like a round one or bust type of character. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm very surprised, though, from a betting standpoint, that the under two and a half, Jason, sits at like minus 150. To me, that seems incorrect. And we're not talking minus, you know, under one and a half. We're talking under two and a half. I think something's going to happen. Either Takali's going to get knocked out or – you know, Tercali is going to outwork Petrino in route to a finish one way or another. So give me the slight underdog here and Anton Tercali on DraftKings DFS at 8,000. Yeah, I mean, the thing that sticks out to me is the potential grappling aspect. If, you know, Petrino is not able to get that knockout within five minutes. I mean, that's one of those things that, you know, kind of uh, I've been looking at this week and thinking like, man, that's at 8,000. If he can really get that grappling, he could be a guy that really sticks out to us. Next up, we got heavyweight matchup here. And uh, there's a reason I mentioned heavyweight. Cause I think one guy really is a heavyweight and the other guy's not necessarily heavyweight. Carl Williams. He is 9,000 on DK $19 on Fandle. He's a minus two fifty betting favorite. Uh, take it on Brzezinski 7,200 on DK $11 on Fandle. And he is a plus two, 200 betting underdog Pete. I wonder if we're going to be opposite on this one. And uh, initially when I just remember seeing Lukash Bresky and see him as an underdog, I'm like, yep, I'm going to go with him. Then I look at the film and I'm like, yeah, well, debuting against Martin Boudet is, you know, it's a tough debut, right? Like Boudet makes you work. Um, we saw Bresky throw 273 significant strikes, landed 118 of them, didn't attempt any takedowns. It was a sloppy fight, very sloppy fight. Carl Williams, a guy who's not a true heavyweight, as you alluded to, and I would agree with that. But what he does have over a lot of these heavyweights is just like a a relentless motor and work rate. Even on the Contender Series, we saw him chain together some fantastic takedowns into a ton of control time. He's a a pretty solid wrestler in, in his own right. Uh, I know that he have he didn't have like D1 national champ accolades or anything like that, but he's pretty impressive and he's relentless with it. So um, if you go back and you watch some of Lukash Bresky's regional fights, you can see that his takedown defense at times is lacking. This guy reminds me, Carl Williams reminds me of last week's Loik Rajabov, if I remember, remember correctly, first fight of the night, had like, what, 12 takedowns or something silly? Super under-owned, took the fight on short notice, basically just went in there. I had minimal exposure, should have had a lot more. Um, and it was a complete leverage play, and, you know, you needed him if you wanted to take down the top of a tournament. So Carl Williams is within that same realm of upside, in my opinion. I know that he's going to be undersized. I think that the work rate and the skill set kind of negates that to a point. Um, And he does seem to have a pretty good motor. So I'm going to be siding with uh, Carl Williams here. As far as betting, I I don't like the – I do not like the numbers though. You know what I mean? Like I I wish that it was closer than what it is. Minus 250, not parlay material at all. Um, I'd probably look for Carl Williams to win by decision. Sits at plus 175. 
I think that's much more likely and much in a, a much better number than a minus 250, almost three to one favorite. So yeah, if I was going to do anything for this fight from a betting standpoint, it'd be Williams to win by decision sitting there at plus 175. Uh, a little bit of news just coming down. The UFC just revealed that the matchup between Austin Lingo and Ricardo Hamos has been scratched from wow. tomorrow's card after Hamos missed weight by eight pounds. And the UFC uh, has also said that the matchup between Harris and Gooden will proceed as a catchweight matchup, even though Gooden did miss weight by seven pounds. Wow. Well, I mean, it's so different too, right? Like when you have... Eh, it's not that different, I guess. I was going to say that for certain weight classes, you can kind of, but Carlson Harris, Jared Gooden, they're still welterweights. It's not yeah, like but, by that big of amount. And we got Hamosh as a featherweight. You know what I mean? So it's like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, but it's also one of those things where you might have some commissions when you start getting into eight, nine, ten pounds that they may not even let the fight unless that, you know, there was something. Cause I mean, you know, this, you know, in, in terms yeah. of, you know, fighting with belts or, they're, they're checking your weight throughout the week. They know exactly where you're at. So they know when you get the weigh-in day whether they believe there's going to be an issue or not. Yeah. I, I wish, like, I remember I didn't know that. And I was like, oh, boy. And then I I was, like, 12 pounds over. And I was, like, freaking out. I'm like, don't freak out, guys. Like I'm t-, And they're like, oh, no, you're fine. And I, in my mind, in the back of my mind, I'm like, what the hell do they see that 12 pounds is fine? And I was still light, like 12 pounds is nothing. But like fast forward to today, I'm like, what the hell do they see? Do they see like 30, 40 pounds? And like, how the hell is this guy going to make weight? And they must. They must see like the absolute worst of the worst. I, I forget. I remember there was one time someone said to me, he's like, hey, man, you got PJ going to make weight? <laughs> I That's one thing I'll always make weight. You never got to worry about that. I think uh, – I think that's certain someone's always been worried. He's like, how much you weighing all the time? And uh, I'm like, buddy, don't, don't worry about me. I've never missed weight in my life. And I used to jump up weight classes when I was too light. So, you know, but yeah, a lot of times people are, are very surprised at what I weighed. They're like, you look like you weigh a lot more than that. And I'm like, no, I don't. I remember uh, Nick Newell said that to me one time. He's like, how much you weigh? I'm like 160. And that was a long time ago. And yeah. he's like, no way you're like 180 i'm like bro not a chance not a chance i'm 180 now i am <laughs> yeah now you are now you are you know yeah. we, you just try to make sure you don't go in the full dad bod mode here in the next uh nine months i know i trust me i've definitely gained some pregnancy weight i 100 have um but it's been good weight now so I'm, I'm in really good shape right now and uh mm-hmm. haven't even really started fight camp so we'll see by the way uh speaking of uh fighters and quick returns even though he's been released by the UFC, William Knight already has his next fight. He's fighting next week in CES. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. How many punches does he throw? Yeah, I, did, I didn't see who he's fighting, but I would imagine. That's I don't think he'll a, ever get a shot again. No, no, no. no. After, after I, I think he never, would literally. I don't, I don't think if he goes on a five-fight win streak, they'll ever give him a shot again. He's going to literally knock fight. pulls. Yeah, he's going to have to knock dudes out in like in 30 seconds. Yeah, but I mean, like he had the complete opportunity in under. Uh, don't even get me going with that fight. Marcin Pracnia looked like the K one, K one champion of all time, and Knight just stared at him. Took yeah, exactly. six hundred leg kicks. 
Uh, let's move over to the next match. Uh, we got Davy Grant taking on Rafael Sunsau. Uh, Davy Grant is a minus one forty betting favorite, plus one fifteen for Rafael Sunsau. Uh, over at the uh, the DFS salaries, eighty five hundred for Grant, seventy seven hundred for a Sunsau, and then sixteen and fifteen respectively over there on Fanduel. This is a matchup that I really don't love in terms of a DFS perspective. But if I was going to look, Pete, to make a wager on this matchup. If I live in a state where I can actually make a wager, uh, I'd be looking at that. Davy Grant wins via decision at plus 225. Yeah, this fight's tricky for me, right? Because I clearly, in my mind, think that Rafael Sunsau is much better than Davy Grant. Like, in my mind. Like, my perception is Rafael Sunsau is just a better fighter. Um, I know that he was on one hell of a run for a while. I know that he's fallen from grace. So he's clearly not the, the same fighter that he used to be. Picking up a decision win over Victor Henry kind of like scrambled my brain. I'm like, what? Victor Henry's the same guy that made Howney Barcelos look levels below him. And now you have the ghost of Rafael Sunsau winning a decision. So it was just weird. It was a very weird fight. It show, it shows that even at his age, Rafael Sunsau, he's training with some of the best fighters in the world at Extreme Couture. Um, as long as he's able to blend in takedowns, I think he can be safe and win fights. That's what he needs to do here against David Grant. Um, I think that's what he needs to do. He needs to blend takedowns, get in top position, um, solidify rounds. I think that this is going to go the distance. I'm actually not opposed to getting to Rafael Sanzao at all. Just from like, uh, if he lands some takedowns, he could possibly work towards a finished highly doubt it much more likely it's going to be control oriented and banking two of the three rounds into a low 80 decision being generous there um it's 2023 i don't want to do it i guess i'm gonna go with davy grant but please I, I wish i could just pass on the fight in general he did defend three takedowns that lewis smolka attempted he's a purple belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu Actually, was just recently promoted to a brown belt. I wasn't really impressed with anything I saw from his roles on Instagram, but take that with a grain of salt. I thought that he still looked pretty blue belt, purplish when I was watching him grapple. And if Rafael Sansao takes him down, he really could look levels above him. So I'm going to get to both sides, if I have to be honest. Uh, and from a betting standpoint, you always have to target a Davy Grant to win by KO. You just have to. Plus 250. He swings big, big hammers, big hooks. And uh, we've seen Rafael Sansao be chinny at times. So I think that's a, a fine play, targeting that KO, TKO prop. Um, if you are backing Rafael Sansao, I think that Sansao to win via decision, plus 175, makes a ton of sense. Seems like the books are sharp with it. I hate the fight. I mean, do you lean one way or another? I, I'm I'm picking Davy Grant just because of youth, but I think if all the skills are on the table, Rafael Sansao is probably better. I you know I prefer Grant in the matchup, but this is one of those fights in this car from a DFS perspective that I just don't love in terms of thinking of you know we're always talking about we're you know we're chasing to get to 650 points every week, and I just look at this fight and I'm like okay. Is the the winner maybe more likely in the seventy eight to eighty eight range in terms of a ceiling? I just I think this is a fifteen minute fight. Yeah, I think so too. Um, 
could be a nice live by a live betting standpoint, mm-hmm. like live betting situation. Um, you know, don't neglect momentum. If you are watching momentum and you are seeing a guy that, you know, is just not performing at the level you expected, and you you see that Rafael Sunsau is kind of you know clicking on all cylinders, firing on all cylinders, and you're like, he's still sitting there at dog money come second round or whatever. Don't be afraid to to get aggressive when it comes to live betting, and live betting can really turn your night around. So don't be afraid. Notice all the clues. Somebody's gassing. Somebody's hurt. Somebody has momentum. They got a takedown, and it's like, oh my god, they see the light. That's the that's my way to beat this opponent. You know what I mean? Just try to put your mind into into a fighter's mind, and uh, you know, live bet. Live betting mm-hmm. is is the best. Next up, we got Dumas and Frem. Dumas is a minus 225 betting fair, plus 180 for Frem. Uh, 8,800 for Dumas on DK, 7,400 for Frem. And then over on FanDuel, Dumas is $18 and $13 for Frem. Pete, what's your thoughts? Volatility. Cedricus Dumas is a very raw prospect. I, I don't even like saying prospect. He's a very raw fighter and um, super, super dangerous. He has excellent chokes. That was on full display on the Contender Series. Um, hits really hard. Has found some head kick finishes. He can just knock you out. He can grapple a decent amount. Um, but I, I really think that his submission savviness of just capturing the neck is pretty sneaky because a lot of people aren't comfortable with standing on the feet with him. Josh Frem is a guy that I have actually expected to perform at a higher level. Um, I'm pretty sure I, I picked Josh Frem to beat Treshawn Gore. I was off the Treshawn Gore bandwagon, and then you know he gets put in one of the nastiest submissions you've seen in a in a guillotine choke, and his head nearly popped off, and you know he was out really really bad. I think that Cedricus Dumas has a better guillotine than Treshawn Gore. I think Josh Frem will be mostly wise to it, but you can't say that he's going to avoid that because he could get hurt. And then desperation shot comes, and next thing you know, he's put into another guillotine and he's slept again. I think that this is a fight you need to circle. I have some questions and unknowns surrounding Cedricus Dumas. The aggressiveness in general is going to point me in his direction. The experience within a legitimate promotion of Josh Fremd is what makes him an interesting underdog. He has good straight punches. He is somewhat battle-tested. He is. He has fallen on hard times, getting completely mollywopped against Anthony Hernandez over the course of 15 minutes, submitted in the second round against Treshawn Gore, now looking against a debuting um, you know, Dana White Contender Series alum in Cedricus Dumas. Should be a winnable fight. I'm just – I don't know, man. I, I feel like sometimes some fighters just kind of uh, – they, they – they fall flat on their face when it comes to certain opportunities. And I do think that the UFC recognizes the volatility within this matchup. So I'm going to be picking Cedricus Dumas. I think he has that Cedricus Duplessis type of finishing potential this week. And he's within that sweet spot salary range at 8,800 where it makes a lot of lineups work. Yes, there is some volatility and unknowns regarding him. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think a, a finish is going to happen one way or another. So I will be going with Cedricus Dumas. And as far as betting, like, I wish he was more so like minus 150. That would be more appropriate. I don't like the line where it's at. But Dumas, to win inside the distance, is already currently lined at minus 120. 
if I'm being safe and I'm putting together that safe under two and a half parlay, the under two and a half between this fight sits at minus two fifty. I think I think something's gonna a big score is going to arise from this matchup. So give me Cedricus Dumas despite the question marks. My biggest question on Dumas is previous to his previous two fights is the lack of competition that he faced yeah. leading up to getting on the contender series. That's just kind of concerned. I mean, just give you an idea. These are the records of his opponents at the time of the fight. One and seven, one and two, five and eight, one and oh, one and oh, and then nine and five, six and oh. And, and you look in, of course, and also should note, Frem did take this fight on short notice, uh, replacing uh, Azatar in this matchup. Um, you know, like if you tell me, you know, looking at in terms of roster construction and trying to find fighters under 7,500, I don't mind getting to friend because of that, that boom potential that there is there, yeah. but you, you, you present this perfectly, Pete, man. There's a, there's a lot of volatility in terms of, uh, you know, potentially maybe going from in terms of that one. Now let's move over to a matchup that uh, was a little bit of a hot topic in our, dis- okay. You, you have this look like something just happened. Hot topic. I missed it. I must have missed it. I want to hear this because I, I did not look at our Discord. This so this morning. was hot topic. This this was earlier in the week, and the this was hot topic, about this? hot topic. You know, hot takes, hot topic. You've never heard this? No, I know. I, I get it. I want to know what's what's controversial about this take. Let's hear it. It's about whether or not you get to a ninety seven hundred Mario Batista. Oh. Okay. And against Guido oh, yeah. Canetti, of course, Mario, uh, earlier this week, he was a 10 to one betting favorite. He's now 11 to one betting favorite plus 650 for uh, Guido here. Uh, he's 65, uh, Guido Canetti, 6,500 on DK, $8 on FanDuel, 9,700 for Mario on DK, $22 on FanDuel. I like Mario in this matchup. I think this is a main matchup for him. Um, oh, yeah. But at that price tag, man, we need a quick finish, Pete. Yeah, I mean, you either need a quick finish bonus or you need Guido Canetti to have developed some some higher skills en route to a later finish. I don't think this guy's good. I've never said it. I never said he's good. Um, he hits really hard. He has a nice round kick. He has a powerful lead hook. The lead hook from a southpaw is what actually gave Mario Batista problems against Trevin Jones. You need Mario Batista to avoid that that big shot. Um, because perhaps there's a tendency within his game where he gets caught with lead right hooks. I don't necessarily think so. I think it was more like a lucky shot, uh, kind of like a shovel hook from Tremon Jones that caught him off guard. Um, yeah, I, I think that Mario Batista wins here inside the distance. The the betting line is getting completely out of control, and I would suggest going after Batista to win inside the distance. That that's wow. It's really ballooned. It was two to one last time I checked, and now it's approaching. Th- it is three to one right now. Minus three hundred, minus three hundred for Batista win inside the distance. He's winning inside the distance. How? How's he going to do it? Is he going to win via the submission? Well, Guido Canetti's submission skills are horrendous. Minus one fifteen to do so. Batista to win via TKO KO. Let's root for that. He's plus one seventy five there. Hopefully, it it, it turns into um, he, Batista just feels angry that day, wants to pound him out. I think that Batista gets this victory any way he chooses to. Outside of a fluky shot landing, there's no way Guido Canetti's better than him. There's no way Guido Canetti lasts 15 minutes. I know Canetti's been doing a ton of um, a ton of cardiovascular work, trying to increase his cardio, doing like 
um, crazy different things where he's going 10 seconds really hard, resting. Um, I can't I can't think of the word right. In, interval training. So he does a ton of stuff like that. I just think from a skill standpoint, he's behind everywhere here. More so on the mat than anywhere else. Batista gets this done. It's just, is he at a restrictive price tag where he never had a chance of making it optimal? Um, Bo Nickel got a pretty easy win last week. Didn't you know go into the optimal lineup. But if Guido is able to get back to his feet, and let's say he gets ragdolled and makes this decently competitive, there was a time where he defended 14 takedown attempts against Hugo Biana. He's terrible still. But uh, I'm going to be getting to Mario Batista just because I think it's an easy win. It's just a restricted price tag. And I do think that you can make a case for getting away from most of these high-priced 9,000 options, uh, going with a middle-of-the-road type of salary approach. But yeah, Batista is going to get into my lineups. It's just how much of my lineups? Half of them? I'd probably say no. I'd probably say I'd be more inclined to get away from it than get to it if it becomes that high of an ownership. I was hoping the ownership would be a little lower, so maybe get yeah. a little bit of leverage on the field. But when I saw the projection ownership, I was like, "Oh man, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll be under the field." But I will, I will. When I start making cash lineups, yeah. I'll be constructing lineups around Mario Batista. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, for cash, one hundred percent cash. Yeah. Like yeah. I, w- I would imagine cash for you would probably be Marab Batista. To start right, like that would make sense. Yeah, that, yeah, that that to me, flat. yeah, that to me was kind of you know a, a potential starting point. I mean, I just it's gonna be hard for me to avoid Marab and Cash just because of what that that floor likely mm-hmm. is. And then if he goes out there and gets a win, man, even greater. But I just I, I think when you're talking about any type of cash game contest this week, Marab is just gonna be the ownership's gonna be through the roof. Agree. You know, I mean, like if you're playing a 50-50, if you tell me his 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 ownership is eighty percent, I would probably I'd believe it. Yeah, I would believe it too. It just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, let's move over to our next matchup. We have Victor Henry taking on Tony Gravely. Victor Henry a minus one forty five betting fair plus one twenty for Gravely, eighty four hundred for Henry, seventy eight hundred for Gravely, and then seventeen and fourteen respectively over there on Fanduel. Uh, I already see you shaking your head, Pete. So uh, let, let me hear your thoughts. Yeah, man, I don't know what to do here. Like, I, I I don't know what to do here. Like, I I've picked Tony Gravely sometimes. I've picked against them sometimes. Victor Henry, I thought was a shoe in to win against Rafael Sunsau. He beats Howney Barcelos in one of the most overachieving moments in the UFC. We see this a lot. Like, what is he really? You had him at his highest against Howney Barcelos. And we might have just seen him at his lowest against Rafael Sunsau. So do we expect a mediocre rebound? What do we expect? Is he that same person that, that fought Rafael Sunsau? Because if he is, I think that Tony Gravely being a lot younger than Rafael Sunsau can do the same damn thing. Can take you down, can control you. He even took Javi Basharat down two times, had only a minute and a half of control time, attempted 13 takedown attempts. Javi Basharat is an absolute stud. I told you. The Basharat brothers are for real. I think that Javid is still the better of the two. But, uh, yeah, Tony Gravely is a, a volatile fighter to get behind um, because I worry about his everything defense. You and I were kind of talking about it. I worry about his striking defense. Um, Nate Manus, the worst fighter ever, knocked him out. Um, <laughs> Brett Johns put him in a submission. Um, offensively, he's fine. He can get in top position, rain down punches and all that. 
but he slams out of a lot of submission attempts. So if you're pretty savvy with submission skills, you're going to catch him in something. And I think that Victor Henry coming from catch wrestling has some sneaky unorthodox submission attempts mixed with some clean striking should be a good fight. Don't hate getting to Tony Gravely as an underdog at all. I'm going to be going with Victor Henry though. I, I, I just less of worry about getting finished. So many worries about Tony Gravely getting finished. Henry could just completely get outworked over the course of 15 minutes as, as it happened throughout his regional career at times. But I, I'm, I'm going to trust that he rebounds a little bit better than his uh, Rafael Sunsau performance here at 8,400. I expect this. I, I actually think that we're going to have some decisions this week, man. And I, I think that Victor Henry going the distance is probably, probably likely. Um, you know, I, I don't hate it. Minus 145 is about right. Henry to win via decision sits at plus 175. It's probably what I'd sprinkle. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those, and you mentioned about it. The thing that scares me about Gravely is a striking defense, but he can rack up a ton of points of grappling. I got to imagine that's oh, yeah. what he's going to do. But of course, you know, Victor Henry, disciple there of Josh Barnett. So uh, I kind of do like his ability to keep this fight on the feet. And, you know, we saw, you know, two fights ago where he racked up, what was it, 181 strikes or whatever it was in terms of that yeah. one. This is, I think, another fight in terms of GPPs. You got to really kind of circle on both sides of the equation of what they could get to. A uh, little note, uh, Sean Shelby had oh. to uh, show off his uh his reflexes a little bit as uh looked like marab was uh jawing a little bit and as peter yan did the stare down uh gave him a nice little push like almost like to the neck gave gave peter yan a push no no no. yan pushed marab there there's oh, okay. heat between these two guys there's yeah. there's an incident from abu dhabi that played into this yeah these two guys um i, I think it's well, fair you- very safe to say they're not having dinner anytime with each other anytime soon I mean, at the end of the day, we're fighters, right? But, like, have you seen Piotr Jan? Like, just, like, a compilation of, like, he's just a bully to everybody. He's like, they call him the Russian bully. He just picks fights with everybody. He's like, dude, what are you so angry about? Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's trying to trip Henry Cejudo, Aljamain Sterling, Marab Dalishvili, Cody Garbrandt years ago. Like, what is this? I don't know, man. He's a hothead. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. It makes sense that there is some animosity here because of the current situation going on. Uh, for both their homelands and all that stuff you know all that aside it's going to be a very competitive matchup there's a ton at stake for both competitors so yeah uh, i can't wait to watch the fight it should turn turn should turn out to be a good one i always uh remember the burt watson line hey fellas you don't get paid on weigh-in day get paid on fight day so just remember yeah absolutely (laughs) uh next up Go ahead. You see these Russian weigh-ins where they just like smoke each other at the weigh-ins and it's like yeah. the fight never even happened. Then they, they're like, okay, we're good. We're good. They sit down. Then the guy storms out of the chair and flying front kicks him in the face. And it's like, bro, Russia's crazy. Yeah, I know. Uh, let's move over next. up. So we got a female matchup. We got JJ Aldrich taking on Aaron Lipsky. Uh, Aldrich is a minus 350 betting favorite. Uh, Lipsky plus 260. Uh, Aldrich, 9400 DK, $20 on FanDuel. Lipsky, 6800 on DK, $10 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, you know what's crazy is, like, I love JJ Aldrich. I think that she's a staple within the division. She's tough. If you go out there and you beat her, you earned it, right? Like she's seven and four in the, in the UFC. Ariana Lipsky three and five, but Lipsky's been finished at a pretty high clip within the UFC. Priscilla Cachoeira knocked her out bad. Montana De La Rosa was not really a finisher at all. If anything, is going to find a submission finish. TKO'd her in the second round. Antonina Shevchenko, one of the ugliest losses on Ariana Lipsky's you know entire resume. 
TKO'd her in the second round. So now you have what? Uh, decision win over Mandy Baum, Isabella de Badua, and then it's like a submission finish over Luana Carolina, that knee bar from hell. It's like, this is an ugly record. You go through and you look at J.J. Aldrich's record, and you go back and you watch the fight film, like, Blanchfield had to really step it up. She was struggling against Aldrich, who's a southpaw and has good range management, distance management, can crack you, hits you good straight punches, takedown defenses, solid, has wins over Jillian Robertson, Vanessa Demopoulos, Courtney Casey. Um, like the list goes on and on. Poliana Viana, Danielle Taylor, who's a solid, you know, uh, wrestler. It's just a lack of finishing potential, right? Like if you go and you look at her entire career in the UFC, zero knockdowns. Zero submission attempts. You know, it's like, what the hell is even going on in these matchups? Um, I think that there is some upside here, sneaky upside from a takedown aspect. Uh, against Courtney Casey, she attempted seven takedowns and landed four of them. Uh, against Aaron Blanchfield, she even attempted six takedowns. I, I don't even recall her attempting six takedowns. I, that doesn't make much sense to me at all. But against Courtney Casey, split decision, scored 80 points. The issue here is 9,400, never achieved 100 points at all on within her entire UFC career. Looks to me like it's a softball matchup against Ariana Lipsky. Dive in a little bit on the social media, and you find out that Ariana Lipsky is training with Amanda Nunes, a part of their private camp. And it's like, interesting, right? Like, mm -hmm. Amanda Nunes is going to bring something to the table. It's just a matter of if it's a little too late. You know what I mean? Like, she's going to help her out, try to prepare her get her better, whether she's struggling the jiu-jitsu, the wrestling, striking defense, something. Amanda Nunes being in your corner and helping you out in preparation for a fight against anybody means something. I just – I don't want to weigh too heavily in that. All I'll say is that in women's MMA, you, you can actually just take underdogs sometimes in hopes that they can survive and make a, a high-volume – fight in the 6k range where like ariana lipsky let's say she's so tough and this turns into a 15 minute decision and she throws 271 significant strikes like she did against molly mccann she only scored 27 points because she landed only 68 good lord but let's just say that there's a world where she could do enough in a loss okay i'm picking jj aldrich to get this done i think that it's uh pretty clear she's the better fighter of the two she might actually walk herself into getting one of the, you know her first finish inside the UFC, but I'm just I had to throw in that social media nugget that Ariana Lipsky is training with Amanda Nunes in the private camp. So uh, if you like Aldrich inside the distance, I don't hate it. It sits at plus two hundred, plus two ten. If history repeats itself, Aldrich is going to win via decision and sits at minus one ten. Next up, we have got a matchup between 125ers Bruno Silva and Tyson Nam. Bruno Silva minus 225 betting fair, plus 175 for Tyson Nam. It's 8900 for Silva on DK, 7300 for Nam. Over on FanDuel, Silva $18 and Nam $12. Uh, I know someone in the chat had mentioned that uh, Tyson Nam didn't look great on the scale, so I'm, I'm going to have to go back and, and watch the weigh-ins with that one. To me, Tyson Nam, uh, obviously, you know, he's got the upside with with his hands. We've we've seen him do that. Uh, we saw that uh, in his recent fight against Oday Osborne. So uh, he is a guy that I will circle as a underdog for GPPs, but uh, I, I think that um, more times than not, Bruno Silva probably would get the job done here, Pete. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think the better minute winner is going to be Bruno Silva. He has more variety. He can mix in some takedowns. 
even though Tyson Nam is pretty good at defending takedowns, I just think that the threat of the takedown can open up some strikes for Bruno Silva. If it's a close round, Silva can really look to initiate the grappling. It looks like a guy who's completely developed. Um, you know, I really think that, you know, the JP Bays, the Victor Rodriguez fight, you know, in a lot of these, you've seen that he hits really damn hard. And perhaps it's because people are worried about the takedown. Tyson Nam is one of the best one-hitter quitters on the entire card. Pretty poor accuracy. Um, needs to land the perfect shot. He can get outworked en route to a decision. Sergio Pettis, Kaikara France, Matt Schnell all outworked him. Matt Schnell was super, super chinny. I thought that was a, a home run spot for Tyson Nam, and Tyson Nam failed to, uh, to you know, just com- completely capitalize on that opportunity against a chinny Matt Schnell. So I'm going to be picking Bruno Silva to be the better minute winner. But as far as like underdogs, it's pretty rare for a flyweight to hit as hard as Tyson Nam. So I'm not going to fault you if you go in Nam's direction, but I think that Bruno Silva is going to get this done. Yeah, I mean, Tyson Nam's a guy I'm going to take some chances on in GBP just because of that upside there. Then our first fight of the night is going to be Carlson Harris and Jared Gooden. Of course, uh, we mentioned Jared Gooden missing weight a little bit earlier. Harris, uh, 8,300 on DK, 6,900 for Gooden, uh, 20 and $10 respectively here. Um, you know, the, the weight miss, I'm interested to kind of see if something maybe comes out over the next couple hours of, of maybe why he was not close to 170. Was it something that the UFC knew? Is it something that Carlson Harris knew? So that's kind of a part of my evaluation of this matchup. Yeah, I mean, but like Gooden fought like a couple weeks ago, basically on my birthday or the day after my birthday, February 18th or 19th, I, I believe I saw. So he's coming off of, of a performance. You would imagine it's just kind of just letting some of the weight come back on at, after a fight. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that he's in decent shape. Usually you, you want to stay in shape so you don't have to get ready. Um, I think that Carlson Harris having some time off after getting knocked out against Shavkat Rachmanov makes sense. He allowed his, his brain to heal for the most part. And he, he talked about how he really went in and put in some work with his boxing, trying to improve his boxing, not only offensively, but defensively. Um, to to really eliminate some of those mistakes and capitalize, work on his power. I think he hits really damn hard. I mean, that was shown against Impakasanganai. If you shoot recklessly or you do not like what's coming your way and you attempt to take him down, he has some of the best head and arm chokes. He'll go after anaconda chokes, darts chokes, guillotines, but he really sets up a beautiful anaconda choke, and I love it so much. Um, and he puts you out, puts you out really quickly. Jared Gooden's a guy that's totally fine as a punt, in my opinion, at 6,900, because both of these guys are you know, coming in here with tons of question marks. Even though Gooden doesn't have a camp behind him, I, I think that there is a world where he can win a decision here against Carlston Harris or touch that chin of Carlston Harris. And how much do you trust Carlston Harris? You know, I think that Carlston's going to be pretty damn popular as a three-to-one favorite sitting there you know, mid range, you know what I mean? Sitting there at 8,300, he, he should be popular. And if he's not, you should be getting to Jared Gooden as a punt. It's a fight that I'm going to circle, man. I'm going to get to this fight a ton. Um, I don't like the line. I, I understand why Carlston Harris is like that. Um, but you know, if you go and you look at Jared Gooden's fight film, you see Impa Kasanga and I hitting him with some big shots, catching him off balance and finishing up some ground and pound. And Carlson Harris, Carlson Harris can replicate that same exact performance. So, I'm going to go with Carlson Harris, but uh, some intangibles with this fight, so be careful. 
Pete, let's get into our straight up fight picks in terms of this one. Let's get to the main event. Uh, I'm going to go with the favorite, uh, Jan. Yeah, Piotr Jan for me. Romanov Volkov. I want to say Volkov, but I'm going to go Romanov. I'm going to go Volkov. Uh, I'll go uh, underdog number one for me and Ryan Spam. Underdog Ryan Spam for me. Uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov. Saeed Nurmagomedov for me. I will go uh, slight favorite here in Anton. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I'm going to go Anton Takali as well. I'm going to go underdog number two here in Bretsky. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. I'm going to go Carl Williams. All right. Uh, Grant? Yeah, Grant. Dumas? Cedricus Dumas for me. Batista? Batista. Henry? Victor Henry, yeah. Aldrich? Yep, Aldrich. I got to go with my Good brain, way. not my gut. Um, you know. Tyson Ham's always a guy that's uh he's always giving me great time, so I, I I'll go Bro Silva. Tyson's, oh damn. T- Tyson's gonna give me crap. He, I know he's gonna give me crap. <laughs> I gotta go Bruno Silva. Uh I'll go uh Carlson Harris. Carlson Harris for me. Uh over over look at the prize picks aspect of this card, I'll tell you the ones that stick out to me. I like the more two and a half takedowns. On Romanoff, I like the more 62 and a half significant strikes land by Davy Grant. Um, I like the more 81 and a half fantasy score on Victor Henry. I'm okay with the, the Romanoff one and the Henry one. I, I'm, I'm okay with those. Yeah, uh, the Romanoff, I like that over on Underdog Fantasy as well. His number's two and a half takedowns over there. Um, the Davy Grant significant strikes a little higher. I still like the more at 69 and a half. I think he probably gets around that 80 range. Uh, you know, yeah. expect expecting a, a 15 minute stand. He, you know, he keeps the fight on the feet. Um, in terms of that one, there's there really wasn't much else that really stuck out to me in terms of underdog. Uh, over there, at super draft. I, I just I think the main event you got to look at whether you're talking about the championship or the flex. Uh, champion Jan's 1.75, um, Rob is 2.2. Um, I'd really target that one. You know, other ones I think that, you know, potentially uh, I would target Ryan Spano on Superdraft. I would agree with you. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, you know, good multipliers. I'm cool with that. Uh, get some questions over from our Discord chat uh, before we kind of start to get out of here. Uh, let's see here. First up, uh, for the betting perspective, most confident picks, favorite inside the distance, dog of the card, favorite prop, and parlay. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm going to go with favorite inside the distance. going to be Mario Batista for me. It's approaching 3-1 to one right now, which is absolutely insane. I was hitting it yesterday, and um, that's clearly my favorite. Um, most confident, I still have to piggyback that and say Mario Batista. Um, as far as, like, dog of the card, I think there are a ton of live dogs, if I'm being honest, like a ton of live dogs. So I don't necessarily want to put plant my flag on one of them. But like there is something to be said where Ryan Spann's opponent missed weight, not missed weight, fell ill. Um, and it's just like styles make fights. And we know that, you know, Nikita Krilov can get finished. I probably, I'd say it's like between Span and Volkov for me, to be honest, as far as underdogs. Yeah, the favorite prop to me, I'm going to go Ryan Spann wins by TKO KO plus 325. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's I'm see here. 
Uh, next up here, uh, this comes from Coffee. Says my biggest UFC questions are how you guys are handling your exposures on two guys in particular, Batista Price and Rob Price. The ownership of Rob seems crazy high. Is that just recency bias from Grosso and folks scoring big on past cards? I love Grosso for the floor. On the last car, as much lower ownership with so many heavy favorites on the slate, but the slate seems like to be so many live dogs and ownership on Rob is crazy high. I'm also very interested in any and all Bellator takes. I haven't looked yet, but we'll be watching. Um, look, I think the Marab, the, the reason the ownership is what it is, I think it's the the feeling that it's going to be a 25-minute fight and you're getting a guy at 7,000 and it's just going to allow you to get to essentially whoever you want. Yeah, I mean, it's an awesome punt, right? Like, it's a salary play. I'm going to say it because I say it every week. Stephen Kozlo allowed me enough in a loss to to – create a unique lineup where I, you know, constructed it and got five of the top performers on that card mixed with Stephen Kozlo gave me the ultimate, ultimate score. So take down a, you know, a GPP by doing so Marab could easily do that. Any of these 6,000 options can come through. We lost Lingle and Ricardo Hamosh now. So, uh, you know, you now, now you're down to 13 fights. So it makes things a little bit more interesting and the likelihood increases that a losing fighter can make it into the optimal. Next up, uh, we got uh, you know Sam over there. He obviously he put his over under number in before we had the cancellation. His number four was nine and a half. So uh, Sam, I'm going to take you down to eight and a half. You're still waiting. Sam, far. let me get rich, bro. I'm hitting the under on that, <laughs> and usually I'm an over guy. I'm hitting yeah. the under on that bank account on the under, getting rich. Right uh, off into the sunset. Yeah, top four. Now he wants top four cash. Usually it's top two. Uh, or maybe it's top supposed to be top four cash GPPs and underdogs. Maybe that's what you want. For me, cash, <laughs> God, it's hard to get away from Marab because of the salary. Yeah. But like, it's got to be Marab and Batista for me. Yeah. I mean, that's who I would see myself uh, combined together. Um, if I was going to try to maybe go somewhere else besides Mario, uh, that I feel really confident in. I mean, I'd love to say Aldrich, but I just don't think she pays off the price point. Yeah. You know? I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. I think that's just the way to play it, man. Yeah, Cash I mean, is it, a completely different animal. In terms of GPPs, um, I mean, look, the main event um, has got to be in your big GPP polls, but uh, like I presented earlier, I think if you want to try to get different, maybe you know, getting some lineups that get, get you away from the main event. Uh, Krylov Span, I think, is a GPP fight. Uh, Vitor and Anton, I think, is another GPP fight. Uh, Dumas and Frem, Henry Gravely would be the fights I would really label as GPP fights. I like it. I, I, I do like it. I think the Carlson Harris chair, good ones, a prime GPP fight for me. Cedricus Dumas, Josh Frem really sticks out. The Petrino Tricali uh, fight, and then it's kind of like the Krilov span main event type of stuff. So, mixing and matching. Pretty obvious spots this week, and um, you know, for 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 DFS, it's just a matter of making sure that you're going after the right matchups. In terms of underdogs, I, I to me, Span is the underdog that really sticks out to me. Yeah, I mean, it's Turkali, Volkov, Span, kind of all in the same category for me. And uh, we ha- we have uh, somebody asking about that parlay or a parlay for me. I said that there's something safe out there and it's by targeting and including under two and a halfs, especially when you think under one and a halfs are going to hit. Sometimes you're off by 20 seconds. So don't get greedy, yeah. man. 
If you do the under two and a half in the Batista Canetti fight, that's at minus four hundred. You combine that with the under two and a half with with uh, Cedricus Dumas and Josh Friend. You combine those two, Jason, you're at minus one thirty. That's really not bad. That's really not bad at all. And then when you do under two and a half in the Vitor Petrina Petrino Anton Tercali fight, you got those three. That gives you plus one eighty six. To me, that's like safe. Mm-hmm. I probably leave out the Tercali in case he takes it the distance. And then what? I'm I'm getting a nice little two piece parlay for minus one thirty two. Throw big money on that, and you sit back and you enjoy it and don't have to stress. Uh, top leverage plays. Uh, I'm looking at the A two hundred eight thousand fight. I think ownership should be a little higher. I think that's your leverage yeah. play for the day. I don't I don't get it. I do not get it. Uh, favorite MVP and champions. Look, I think it's like I mentioned a second ago. I think on, on the super draft side, it's really hard to get away from from either either guy in the main event. But if you're looking to get away from there, um, man, Romanoff could kill this slate. I mean, he could with takedowns. Yeah. I mean, I think that's someone to pay attention to. Um, other than that, um, over on Fanduel, give me a twenty-two dollar Mario Batista at MVP. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, man. I, I mean, like sometimes I just play the no-brainers. Like, yeah, oh, you don't want to be the forty percent getting to the easiest decision on the card that this guy's going to win. What happens if like that means like sixty percent of the field is getting away from it? Yeah. So like that's another way to look at it as well when you know it's free points. Exactly. Uh, top value by pricing. Um, Marab, Span, Frem. It's got to be Carlston Harris for me. He's a three to one favorite sitting there at 8,300. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's definitely another great one to play. Uh, top pump plays. Um, I hate to sound like a broken record, but all the guys I just mentioned. Uh, to get some other questions before we get out of here. Um, pa, 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 pa. uh, with Hamos off, how much more Batista do you think you'll get to? I'm already getting to Batista, and I don't care if I'm wrong with it. Um, I, I would naturally think, like, I still think people are going to be afraid of the price tag. So I, I don't know if it's like Hamosh. Now we're going to pay up for Batista. I think it's going to be Jan. Or, yeah, it's got to be Jan, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't necessarily think people are going to want to get to Aldrich or maybe Nurmagomedov just because of the last last name. Uh, let's see here. Get a couple more questions in here from YouTube. Uh, value plays under 8K on DraftKings. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Gravely's bad. I'm just... Not sold that he survives. I mean, it's, I'm telling you, it's still the same. It's Volkov, Span, and then it's like Dart plays. Who can win a decision? Uh, Dalishvili, Martinez, Gooden. Uh, I'm going to have zero Kennedy. So. Uh, we'll leave on this question related to Jonathan Martinez. Says, you guys like Martinez plus 220 on MGM. It's plus 205 everywhere else. Me personally, no. I, I don't think that he does it. He could. Um, I think the style will fit him as as long as it remains upright. But, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, Nomagamadev is going to get it done. And, you know, if you're checking us out today, we appreciate you guys so much. Um, if you can hit that like button, get us over 125 likes. Truly appreciate that. 
you can subscribe to the channel so you don't miss any of our content. Truly appreciate that as well. And uh, tomorrow starts, what, a little early? Like, what, 3 p.m. or something like that? Yeah, 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 3 p.m. East Coast times when the prelims will start. Of course, if you got any questions for myself or Pete, you can go into our Discord channel, and we're always in there. I get those notifications on my phone, so if you tag me, it'll go straight to my phone, so I know it's there. Of course, you can leave a comment right here on YouTube as well. We always are in the comments answering any questions that you may have. Of course, earlier start time tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that. Of course, uh, the show is also available on the podcast channels as well. I'll get that uploaded on the podcast channels here in a little bit, so we appreciate Everyone tune in for this edition of the Fight HQ preview for Bellator 292 at UFC Las Vegas. We'll talk to you next Saturday for UFC 286.